Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Hey, it's true, isn't it, that this year hasn't been particularly wonderful. But I also think it's true that the events that Christmas remembers really prove to us that this still can be the most wonderful time of the year. So I don't know what Christmas is going to look like for you wherever you are, wherever you're watching from, but really glad that you are watching with us as we kick off this two-week series, The Most wonderful time of the year. And one of the things that I think that we'll really all miss out on this year is a Christmas tradition that we have all been part of at one point or another. I'm talking about the school Christmas nativity. And one of the reasons that I think it's going to be a real disappointment to miss out on those this year is because I think it's the first real success indicator that children have in their life. Before SATs, before exams, before reports and parents' evenings, I genuinely believe it's the school Christmas nativity that's their first real success indicator. Now, I know I'm going to disappoint parents at the moment. I'm going to uh, upset them and potentially even offend. And so I just want to put in a quick caveat. I know that your child is special. I know that whatever role they get, they're going to be brilliant at. And I know that they'll probably perform it better than any other child in the school's history. But let's face it, nobody wants their child to be a sheep. I can say that I was one. But let's be honest, there are categories of different roles that people are hoping that their child will play when it comes to the Christmas school nativity. At the bottom is absolutely the sheep. Don't be offended if you're a parent. If anything, it's a compliment that your teacher has absolute confidence in your creative ability to make a good costume. After the sheep probably then comes the donkey. Now it's still an animal. It's not actually a human part. Sometimes it even takes two people, but at least there's carols about it. After the donkey, I would probably say it's anything with a tea towel. I'm talking innkeeper or shepherds. I think this is the kind of position that most parents are kind of happy if their child plays at the school nativity. And then after the shepherds, it's anything with sparkle. I'm talking the star, which is kind of a new one that people have been putting in with maybe slightly larger class sizes, or probably the wise men. Sometimes these are even, uh, even have speaking roles, and so these are particularly good roles. You have a bit more glam, a little bit more prestige, you have the kings. But then I would say after the kings, after this point, are any roles that you can really be proud of. I mean, I'm talking any speaking roles, any roles where it's like the narrator, the angel Gabriel, maybe even a Herod. But then after here, after the CEOs of the, our future CEOs, I would then probably say are the real parts that everybody is gunning for. I'm talking about the future prime ministers of the country. I'm talking about those who will one day marry into royalty. The one that every parent is hoping their child will get for the school nativity. It's of course, Mary and Joseph. Everybody wants their child to be Mary and Joseph, the ones who will actually hold the Messiah in their arms. I genuinely believe that the nativity scene at schools is the first real indicator of success. Now, don't worry if you are a parent, don't feel upset. As I said, they may not have any particularly uh, big role like I never really had either. And in fact, actually, you can rest in comfort that these things really aren't particularly always 100% accurate. If you don't believe me, just check this out. 
Gabriel's got some moves. Tell you what, I don't know where you're watching from today, whether you are a regular with us, which is fantastic, whether you're watching by accident or whether you're just curious and looking for a little bit of hope. I'm so glad that you are deciding to watch with us today. But wherever you're watching from, I think chances are that one of the risks we fall into when it comes to looking at the Christmas story is that we can kind of put these roles, put these characters, put this story and see it really no more as just a children's story. In fact, maybe you even kind of put the, the nativity in the same kind of camp as Father Christmas, in the same way as in a normal year you might go to the supermarkets and there'll be a Father Christmas in the supermarket that you could put your child on their knee and they'll make a wish and all of that kind of thing. We kind of see the nativity story sometimes perhaps as just another Christmassy warm part of tradition. It can be summed up by this quote from Kelly James Clark. She writes, children naturally believe what their parents tell them. Their parents tell them that there's a Santa Claus and they believe in Santa. God is like Santa. And she goes on to say, it's relatively easy to be cured of Santa's beliefs. On the other hand, God, God's beliefs are like the common cold, harder to shake off. And here's a problem with that. Even when it comes to Jesus followers, I think that we can slip into this kind of mentality. When it comes to the real difficult problems of life, we're happy to look at the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, those moments we perhaps take more seriously. And whilst we believe in the birth of Jesus, actually for many of us, it would have just become far more of a warm tradition than anything that can actually become particularly life-changing. And I really don't mean to be a Scrooge here or take away that warmth and magic of it because I believe that that really is there. But what I am saying is that when we take away just the children's story view of the nativity and really start to view these people as real people, real events written by real people who claim real things with real emotion, real life problems, real life tensions, all of a sudden, this is a story that can speak into our lives too. This is something that Dominic Russo wrote. I think this is brilliant. The earliest biblical narratives depict in that first Christmas confront us with an invitation to outgrow any belief in God that doesn't make room for a sense of awe. This isn't just going to be something that we view as a, a tradition. This is something that is supposed to bring us awe, but also a sense of reality but a spiritual type of expectation that disrupts the limit of human reason and for a hope that stretches our imaginations. When it comes to the Christmas narrative, when it comes to the Christmas story, these are events written by real people about real people claiming real things. And when we do, it can change our mindset on how it can really help us. I mean, think about it for a moment. When you think of Mary, do you just think of the woman sat down in her perfectly wrapped blue cloth with the perfect baby Jesus in her arms? Or do you imagine a petrified, wounded teenager surrounded by animal feces, desperate to try and keep her child warm from the winter elements? When you imagine Joseph, do you imagine just the quiet husband who doesn't really say anything, who hears the message from the angel and never questions anything again, makes his way to Bethlehem and stands idly by? 
Or do we imagine someone who genuinely wrestles with the tensions that the angel uh, gave him? Wrestling with the tensions of, did my wife have an affair? I mean, can I really trust this? Is what the angel said true? Was it just an illusion? I mean, is this something that I really am wanting to commit to? When I have to go all the way to Bethlehem with a pregnant fiance, what's my reputation going to look like? When we think of the wise men, do we just think of these three pleasant men in their brilliant gowns coming in with all these amazing gifts? Or do we see these people who have to wrestle with the tension of crossing unknown lands, wondering if the cosmos lied to them, wondering whether their stars that they saw actually meant what they thought it meant, wondering if this child was really worth the things that they were offering to him. When we think of the shepherds, do we just think of some men in a field who happen to have a brilliant night where the angels appear to them? Or do we actually imagine it as it maybe more likely was? Shepherd girls, maybe 12 or 13, who would have probably been the people most likely to be shepherding the sheep that night, who were probably cold and alone, who when presented with this legion, this army of angels, probably would have been petrified genuinely for their safety, wondering what was about to happen to them. And then wondering whether it was gonna be worth leaving their job, leaving their responsibility, leaving the thing in which they were supposed to be caring for in order to travel to find this child. When it comes to the nativity story, we really have to ask the question, what was it like? Because when we recognize its reality, when we recognize its rawness, it has a message of hope that we can truly gain. Here's my point. When we go beyond the traditions of Christmas that this year, as much as any other, have proven to be so unstable, when we take away the warm traditional element, the story of Christmas in its rawness and realness has a message of hope for you. When it comes to the tensions that you face in life, when it comes to the moments where you no longer have peace, when you face the giants in front of you, is the Christmas story really a place where you go to find the reality of an offering of hope? Because I really believe it should be. Look at the story that Matthew writes of the story of Jesus's birth and look at it through the lenses of this real raw event. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found out to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I love it when it says she was found to be pregnant, almost as if somebody else found out. I mean, it's one of those moments where you can imagine Mary, I mean, what would you do in that situation? We almost go through this lullaby effect where it's part of this lovely Christmas narrative, but you can imagine the absolute terror that this teenage girl would have been faced with. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I think this is fascinating. I think it's probably the thing that most of us would want to do. This would be all of our plan A. But just as a quick offshoot, I think it's amazing that in this moment of conflict, Joseph has the honor to go and divorce quietly. Hey, just as a quick lesson, completely irrelevant from everything else I'm gonna say, when it comes to the tensions in your life, good people try and resolve them quietly. They don't ignore them, they resolve them, but they resolve them privately rather than publicly. But let's go on. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now notice here what God does. He doesn't actually command David to say, you absolutely now have to do this. He gives him an out. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Joseph had the option to do exactly what he was going to do. God invites Joseph to play a different part in the story though. He invites Joseph into hope. He invites Joseph to trust. And this is exactly what Joseph does. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did all that the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Not because he had to, not because he couldn't have walked away, but because he decided to trust. He decided to take a step of trust. I think that what this story offers us is an equation that we can put into our own lives. An equation that when we take that step of trust really can bring new adventures to our lives. This is the equation that I see in this story. Listening to God closely plus following God closely equals divine adventures. I mean, for those of us who perhaps have been in church for a little while, for those who maybe have been following Jesus for a little bit and things have perhaps gone a little bit stale, we might dream or maybe even doubt that these divine adventures exist. We dream of those divine adventures, what God could do through our lives. But it's these two bits that really we genuinely might steer away from. Listening to God closely, following God closely. But when we look through the story of Jesus's birth, this is what we see time and time and time again. I mean, consider with me what that process would have been like for Joseph. I mean, God, in reality, in reality, I now have to travel to Bethlehem, not just by myself, but with a pregnant fiance that might ruin my reputation. In reality, God, I'm now here in Bethlehem. I'm here in Bethlehem and Herod wants to come and kill us. In reality, God, we are now refugees in Egypt. In reality, God, I now I have to raise this child. In reality, God, I still have doubts in my mind, but I decide to trust. I decide to trust that you know better. I decide to trust that you know my heart. I decide to trust that you love me and have adventures for me. I decide to trust that your plan for me, however chaotic it seems, could be far better than any plan I could have for just me. I decide to trust. Or maybe those wise men. In reality, God, we have to travel through these unknown lands. In reality, God, really, is this something we want to do? In reality, God, do we just go to Herod and tell him where the child is born? In reality, God, we have to go back this other way. And, and that's a longer way than where we came. And it's a way that we, again, don't know. Is that something that we really should be doing? In reality, God, is this child really what this star would suggest? In reality, God is our cosmos lying to us but God we decide to trust we trust that you know us we trust that you love us that your love is wild for us that the journey you lay out for us could be far better than we could ever plan for ourselves 
we decide to trust. Or the shepherd girls who are just overshadowed by all these amazing angels who are left afterwards wondering. God, in reality, leaving these sheep, we could leave. Our, uh, we could lose our job. We could lose our income. We could lose our reputation. I mean, we could be punished for losing our responsibility. In reality, God, really, is this, was that real? Was that just an illusion? In reality, God, is there all that much to be said for a child out in Bethlehem? But God, we decide to trust. We decide to, decide to trust that you know us, that your love is wild for us, that the journey you have for us is better than anything we could decide for ourselves. And maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're looking around at your chaos in your life at the moment and you wonder if there's any peace or any hope that can be found. And in reality, God, all of this is going on. In reality, God, there is just so much uncertainty, so much uh, chaos. I believe that you are invited to trust, to make a step closer to Jesus as all of these people did. And in that place, when you follow God closely, when you listen to his words closely, you'll find a divine adventure. In that place of chaos, I still believe that God wants to put dreams on your heart. Not necessarily just desires, but dreams. What's the difference between a desire and a dream? Well, a desire is something that perhaps we just want to make our lives easier. A God-ordained dream is something that God puts on our heart that was going to make the world better. What's the dream that God has put on your heart? Maybe it's to adopt. Uh, maybe it's to give big. Uh, maybe it's to go on mission. Maybe it's to extravagantly love your neighbors. Uh, maybe it's to pray into a miracle that could only happen when God shows up. Whatever it is, there are so many different realities that we can contend with. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. It's too much. It's too uncertain. I'm too frightened. I'm not sure if this is even true, but when we listen to God intently, when we follow him closely, we will be led to those divine adventures. And so I want to invite you to pray today, Lord, I want to trust. I trust that you want the best for me. I trust that you know me. I trust that your heart is for me, that you love me wildly, and the path you set before me is far greater than any path I could create for myself. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the midst of all of the chaos of this nativity story is Jesus. It's the one that everybody steps towards. And maybe you're watching today and you're kind of curious about faith, but you're not really sure, or maybe you've been questioning for a little while. I want to tell you that at the very beginning of the story, the greatest story of Jesus is a child that offers and embodies a hope, a hope that you're invited into, a relationship with a father God who loves you. Jesus is that hope and you're invited to step forward and be part of that, to have that relationship. Jesus who came down to the chaos and the darkness of the world who decided to give hope within our brokenness, within our mistakes that are more than mistakes, within our sin. I want to invite you towards that. And so I want to just ask you two questions now. 
And they're two questions that might go to two different sets of people, people who maybe are already sure of this story, who maybe need to start taking it more as a real life story than just a children's story. And it actually wants to challenge you and invite you into something today. Or maybe you are uncertain and there's a question for you too. Here are the questions. If you're somebody who follows Jesus uh, and you know this story and have heard it a hundred times before, then I want to ask you, what's the dream that God has set on your heart that requires you to trust? Even in your chaos, even in the pain, even in the uncertainty, what's the dream that you know has a quiet whisper in your ear that maybe you've been covering up for so long that you just want to forget it because it just makes life too hard? What's the dream that God has set on your heart that requires you to trust? Or maybe you're someone who's unsure. Maybe you're someone who is curious but uncertain around all of this. I just want to ask you this Christmas, and, and, and maybe it's a journey over this next month. Maybe it's a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's reading something or just asking a question. I want to ask you, what is it that is stopping you this Christmas from taking a step of faith towards Jesus? If you want help and support with that, then maybe even ask the people that you're watching with now, or if that's not anybody, then please do get in contact with us. We have an email address, info at forgechurch.com. Uh, put the prayer hands in the chat if you're watching. We have a team of people who would love to get in contact with you in order to help you find that next step. Jesus offers a hope for the world in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your darkness, and you are invited to take a step towards him. Let me pray. Father, right now in the homes of everybody watching will be a story that nobody knows anything about. There'll be a different form of chaos, a different form of uncertainty, a different form of fear, a different form of hopelessness. And Lord, I love the events that Christmas remembers because it speaks into those moments and in the same ways you've spoken to real people with real tensions and real life difficulties, and you brought them out of that moment and invited them to trust and bring them on a divine adventure where hope was the destination, you do the same for us now. And the destination's the same. A relationship with Jesus. Jesus who wants to offer us hope for our future. Hope for the chaos that we find ourselves in. And so I want to invite you now, Lord, into the homes of each and every person watching this. Would you provide hope for us this morning? Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the fall. 